Welcome to Mad Lit Musings, a podcast with Jamie Jo Wright, where we go deeper and ask the tough and dangerous questions. Hello, everyone. It is Jamie Jo Wright, and today we have back with us here at Mad Lit Musings, Suzanne Woods Fisher. Hi, Suzanne. Hi, thank you for having me. This is really fun. I know. I love having you here. It's so much fun. And I always feel like I end up chatting your ear off. <laughs> no, it's, I enjoy hearing. I like hearing what you're doing. I think it's your work is so fascinating. It's so fun to be writers that talk about the differences in work because we come from such different angles, but yet it all comes down to that story and that story behind the story and, and everything that we put into them. So it's, it's super fun to have these conversations. But you have a new book that is out this week called The Secret to Happiness, which is a sequel, correct? It is two out of three. Two out of three. Okay. Yeah, I have a copy of it right here. I love that. Cape Cod creamery series mm -hmm. so the first one was the sweet life that's this one you okay can notice the ice cream theme i like the ice cream theme second one <laughs> this one this one just came out and this is a uh, kind of picks up where that one left off and then i just okay. turned in book three Ooh. so nice fun. does book three have a title yet or is that still under wraps well i have a title a working title <laughs> called on a whim that i'm hoping hoping stays stick. We'll yes. see if it's sticky. <laughs> yes. I don't know if readers if readers know this, but with authors, we usually, when we're writing a story, we have what we call a working title, which is um, a title that we call our book. And then we usually submit it to our publishers and they'll say, no, yeah. no, <laughs> no, we're not calling it that. So, but every now and then, every now, every and, now then. and then we get, yeah. one, we get one through. So yeah, <laughs> that's wonderful. Okay. So tell me, um, Tell us a little bit about the overview of the book, the series. The setting is great. Ice cream. I mean, who doesn't love ice cream? Well, the series began with a mom and a daughter, middle-aged, you know, mom in her 50s, daughter in her late 20s. And life has just really kind of imploded for both of them. And this is in book one, where the daughter had was just weeks away from her wedding to a longtime boyfriend, college boyfriend. And he calls it off. And she is just literally sending out invitations as the wedding is over, is oh. done. She's devastated. Her mom has had breast cancer and oh. is just on her recovery. The dad had died a year earlier. So been a, a tough stretch. And the daughter decided to take the ex-groom's offer up on just go on the honeymoon anyway. Just go ahead. Take it. It's paid for. Uh, he he really wasn't trying to hurt her. It wasn't like he was a, a bad guy. He just couldn't make that commitment. Right. So they went off to Cape Cod together, she and her mom. <laughs> so I love it. They're staying there and her they're very, very different personalities. The mom is a probably ADHD okay. and just sort of a flower child and free-spirited. And the daughter's a CPA and really, you know, buttoned down. Daughter spends her time on the beach at Cape Cod, just looking out of the ocean, woebegone. The mother's walking around town, comes across this ice cream shop for sale that is so beat up and torn, you know, just a really ready to be bulldozed, puts in this ridiculous lowball offer and it gets accepted. So <laughs> their life changes completely and totally because the daughter feels like, 
what have you done? What have you done with right. dad's insurance money? What right? Live, you're going to end up living with me the rest of my life. We got to make sure this thing works. Uh-huh. And so that's book one. I love that's it. That's premise of book one. Book two picks up a little bit where, where book one leaves off and it actually brings in another character. Okay. And this is a young woman who is a cousin to Dawn named Callie. And Callie and Dawn have been competitive um, cousins all their life, both only children. Callie outdoes Dawn in everything, oh, everything. Just one of those big personalities that fills a room. Uh-huh. And Callie shows up at Cape Cod at the ice cream shop and she doesn't even, you wouldn't even recognize her. She has gone from larger than life to in her bathrobe and her slippers and oh, no. know, the shower. <laughs> and turns out she she's a chef at a hotel, which was Dawn's secret passion always to be a cook. And Callie outdid her there too. Oh my. And, um, Callie made a grave error at the hotel and ended up causing food poisoning for over 200 attendees. Oh at a food safety conference. So she has lost her job for a okay. terrible, terrible accident, mortifying. And she's really back at Cape Cod to kind of lick her wounds or she's come to Cape Cod to lick her wounds and kind of find her way back to happiness. And that's where okay. the happiness comes in. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So really there's a lot of relationships in the story. It sounds women. like <laughs> women relationships, which can always be somewhat <laughs> tricky. Very complicated. <laughs> Why is it that women are so complicated in our relationships? I've always wondered that. Yeah, so many layers. There are, there are. And the competition, I think you nailed it when you mentioned the two of them kind of competing too. There seems yeah. to be an element of competition, I think, sometimes with women. And I'm not sure where that comes from either. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. So trying to come back to the concept of happiness. I mean, the title says the secret to happiness. So then did you discover the secret to happiness in writing the book? <laughs> you're the first person that's asked me that. Did oh, for know? really? For yes. real? Oh yes. my goodness. And it's funny because to me, like, that's the whole reason you read the book. That's the yeah, I'm like, what's the secret to happiness? Yeah, tell, do tell. Do tell me. Well, I, and the truth is I actually studied a lot about neuroscience oh, and okay. I have to say, I, I feel like as much as I've learned, I'm only scratching the surface. Mm. It is so complicated, but it is such a fascinating science, you know, how our thoughts affect our mind, yeah. what we focus on, we find, I mean, it, it, um, what is within our control, what is not. And mm-hmm. so much of it is biblical. It, mm-hmm. it kind of it's like modern day science is always affirming ancient wisdom <laughs> over and over every day. Yep. Yeah. So I, what I learned was, was so many different things. And that is, well, Callie had this um, happiness that was sort of a lifelong me- coping mechanism for her. Always okay. the front, you know, everything's fine. Faking spark, you know, speaking, faking shine, faking sparkle all the time. And when she had this kind of enforced pause in her life, she had to really mm. take that mask off and figure out what does it really mean to be a happy, yeah. joyful, you know, you can, you can go content. I mean, all those different words, I'm right. not talking about a, a giddy, silly happiness as much as just a real love of life and mm-hmm. pleasure in life and contentment. Well, her cousin drags her to this happiness class at the community center and there is this 
professor who is teaching, and at Cape Cod, there's something called the Four C's. It's the Cape Cod Community College. And okay. That's true. He teaches at the Four C's, and he is a curiously gloomy person, but he is teaching the secret to happiness, and he challenges Callie, who is this, you know, ex exuberant personality, right. even in her moroseness, you know, <laughs> and, um, and he keeps challenging her as to what she thinks is is happy is not really, mm. you know, kind of pulling the things out, all the props that she had. So right. that, this is a little bit, I'm kind of, I'm trying to answer your question, but like no, you're great. little, she's rebuilding and kind of moving mm. to a, the kind of tenets of happiness that are within her control and things she can do. And so, yes, to answer your question, is there a secret to happiness? There's, there is many secrets to happiness. There's not just one, that's for sure. I love it. And there's some basic tenets, I would say, that I think are true for all of us. One, that happiness is an inside job, you know, that this mm. belongs to you and you alone. And then there's a, a lot of other things that Callie kind of learned, like paying attention to the good things in life. Uh -huh. This professor had this um, belief in finding holy moments every day. So mm. every day on the beach, she would bump into him on, down at the sunrise and he was off to his holy moment. Oh, Every that. morning, he just had a holy moment, a time when he was sort of standing in awe before God. I find awe, and that's one of the tenets as well, finding mm. awe. It is, there's a TED talk about awe that I, I just loved. And it has this curious concept that we are so insignificant before something like the ocean or the Grand mm -hmm. Canyon or pick, you know, any yes. vast. Yes. And in a strange way, you feel so good. Yeah. You are so insignificant, and yet you feel so right with the world. Mm -hmm. What is that, Davey? What is that? <laughs> you know, tell me, do yeah. you, can you oh, understand? Well, you mystery? know, let me bestow upon you the wisdom of Jamie Cho. <laughs> no, you know, I know what you're saying, though, because last year we went to, um, we took our kids to the Oregon coast. And there's that moment, you know, when you're, you're coming up over the, the bank of sand and you start seeing this vast expanse of ocean and it's just huge. And the kids are like, can we run mom? Can we run to the water? I'm like, go, it's freezing, go, you know, and they're running into the ocean and they're playing and there's sand dollars. And there was that feeling of complete and utter insignificance, like you're saying, and this awe we overuse the word awe too. I think mm -hmm. we say awesome all the time. And I'm like, that's, let's talk about what awesome really is. And it is when you're, you're kind of put in your place because you're so powerless in front of something that's so powerful. Um, but I think one of the yeah, things that I was so dwelling, good. yeah. And I was dwelling on the fact that I think the insignificance for me was restful because it did away with this facade of feeling like I was somehow needing to be in control because mm. in reality there's you're not I mean that ocean rises up and you're done you know mm -hmm. a tsunami comes in can't do anything and I think that release of control is almost a release of stress mm. when you're releasing that to the Lord and and realizing you're not you're not in charge but that's 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 my small little blip of an answer <laughs> I think it's something so interesting to ponder because it, it is I have a feeling it is the right relationship that we should have before God, where we yeah. are, we are just speechless. Yeah. And one thing about the ocean in particular that I find 
so compelling is that it is so vast and so mysterious and so dangerous, Mm -hmm. so calming and so Mm -hmm. soothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a paradox. Right, right. Yeah. But it kind of reminds me a little bit of Aslan in the Chronicles. Were you thinking that very I was thinking the same thing, like with Mr. Beaver, and they're like, oh, is he safe? Is he safe? No, no, he is not safe, but he is good. Mm -hmm. He is good. I love so that. We get a taste of that. We get a hint of yeah of what we um, what lies ahead for us. I think absolutely. Actually, my mom always said that when she she goes, when I meet the Lord face to face, it'll be the first time I'm truly speechless. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so true. I mean, it's so true when you think about it. You know, going before God that one that time when you actually meet Him face to face, and the fact that Moses had to be hidden in the cleft of a rock as God passed by because he was so holy in our imperfection for Moses to have looked upon him, it would have slain him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Today's episode is sponsored by Ravel and Bethany house publishers, which are divisions of Baker publishing group. Find out more at Baker publishing group.com. Yeah. And I think what, kind of amazes me too, is that we feel this, that sense of awe at Grand Canyon, at mm-hmm. ocean, at mountains, at sometimes even just the, the, in, the smallness of things. I mean, right. just the a night sky. And this is a broken world. This mm. is, even in the brokenness of this world, we sense that yeah. great, beautiful creator beyond the creation. Right imagine what lies ahead. I know. Imagine what your mom is seeing. I know. I know. I I imagine that on a regular basis, you know, and you think about the awesomeness of God and when those moments, you know, it's funny too, because I'll get to those moments where I've, I've achieved that rest or that happiness, you know, where it's like, I can just let go and let God just be God and not try and solve anything plan anything I can just let him do what he needs to do and then four hours later or four minutes later or whatever it is I'm back at my own like oh oh but I've got it oh oh and you know you'd think you'd be so in in, in captivated by that addictive feeling of happiness contentment that you'd want to stay there and yet for some reason we don't it's like manna it's like food yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't last it's going back to the source <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, it's probably how, that might be how he designed it because he, he wants us to keep going back to the source right? and not he become complacent. Mm-hmm. Now we're very limited. Well, to get back to what some of the yeah. things we kind of worked on, what you focus on, you'll find good mm-hmm. or bad. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think there's a lot to that. What you focus on, you find, um, train yourself to, in fact, just to go back on that for a minute, what you yeah. focus on, you find for Lent, this is just a personal moment for uh-huh. Lent. I, gave up criticizing oh or no really hard I've never (laughs) thought of that before oh boy very challenging it was interesting it was really surprising to see how quickly a negative thought I mean and I'm talking like even looking at a newscaster on television Mm -hmm. something detached that I've never known and you're thinking you know why is she wearing a dress like a cocktail like she's going out for a cocktail after you know like right 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 like why why go there and I learned so much in that time. And I, I have decided to try to carry it on really hard to do because I learned that a critical thought has a 
like a stickiness to it and it mm. like a velcro and the next one comes and sticks and next mm -hmm. and it's amazing the train's out of the station and when you catch it it is it actually not only good for you well good for your thinking but it it really gives you happiness like yeah to not go get on that train mm -hmm. it's just surprising how what an interesting mental exercise that was for me to kind of put that boundary on a critical thought so yeah I haven't I haven't thought of that before but it makes a lot of sense it really does so what we focus on we find yes so um train yourself to stay in the present and to savor it so hard to do just like mm. you were saying a minute ago I'm happy and then you suddenly remember something that's bothering you and yep. yeah yep. it's really hard to do that um this was kind of interesting and it had to do with Callie made a grave error, like I said, at the restaurant, poison mm -hmm. 200 people, just between you and me, that was actually based on a true story, which was like, I had learned that and kind of filed it away because I thought that's got to be part of a novel one day. <laughs> and, and there was a, it wasn't just the mistake in losing her job, but there was the reason she made that mistake. Mm -hmm. There was a reason behind it. And that was the source of a lot of her, her, a um, lot of her stuff. And there's a, one of the things that this professor, the gloomy professor was working on with her was um, be mindful about who or what you let tell your story. Mm. So Callie was letting this mistake and the reason for it really define her and tell her mm. story. Uh -huh. And I thought about that a lot, even in writing it. It's sometimes funny. You must feel this too. Writing is so cathartic. Yeah. And I just, when we let somebody else tell our story, I think we have to be careful. That's, that is God's job. No one else's. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Absolutely. another moving on, unless I'm interrupting you. No, you're totally, this is great. I'm just soaking it all in. I love it. Another thing that this gloomy professor recommended was that every day you play every day, you find a moment or two where you are just sort of a kid again, you're just free of responsibilities just for a little while. And that is, I think, a really good thing to keep in mind, whether it's just taking a walk, whether it's playing tennis, whether it's uh -huh. cooking, something that just frees your mind from that constantness. Yeah. Everything that needs to get done and all the responsibilities. So uh -huh. um, this we talked about a little bit before, hunting for those holy moments, uh -huh. looking for them. And then one of the last things was just really looking every day for reasons to be grateful, kind of train your mind to see something and give thanks for it and give abundant yeah. thanks. Yeah. I love that. It kind of reminds me. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, one of the few women of my generation that has a massive crush on Bing Crosby, but wow. I <laughs> love him. I'm not sure. I, I mentioned it to all my friends and they're like, Bing who? <laughs> or they're like, hasn't he been dead for a long time? I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter. He's got great eyes. Um, but in the movie White Christmas, um, there's there's a moment where um, I can't remember her name now. The woman who acted opposite him, um, she can't sleep, and they kind of meet in this little room area, and he starts crooning the song. But the song is, "When you're worried and you can't sleep, count your blessings instead of sheep." Instead of, instead of sheep. And I remember as a kid that kind of stuck in my head that when you're worried, instead of worrying on what is the negatives, like you were mentioning earlier, counting the blessings that you have and the things that God has done and is going to do in your life and how that really does shift 
your perspective, even during hard times. Cause when I was even, you know, going through the time with my mom passing away and things like that, I mean, those are, those are really difficult times, but to be able to step back and say, Oh, but look at this blessing, Mm -hmm. but look at this blessing. And there's so many blessings that God brings that sometimes I think we miss because we see them as ordinary or somehow we're entitled to them and we're owed them. Um, or, or maybe we're just so consumed by the negatives that we just literally let these moments pass by. And, um, I've always remembered being Crosby for that. I don't know if that's what he meant when she sang the song, but it's such a a focus. That last thing you said, I think we get so consumed by the negative that we forget that there are a lot of, a lot of right things happening Mm -hmm. in the course of a day. Mm -hmm. You have to really look for them. You have to, we just do not have a natural bent toward it. It sounds like your mom maybe was a little more wired toward that, but my dad was a person that was a very upbeat, positive person, but, um, but most people, the negative kind of really holds on to us. It's not, it weighs you down. It's like carrying you know, big bags of flour on your shoulders. And the more you put on, you just get more and more weighed down until you're like disappearing because you're trying to carry it all. And I love, okay. Can I just say, I love that ice cream is paralleled to the concept of happiness. Now don't, it's not (laughs) because sugar brings happiness, but when you think about, you know, when you think (laughs) about, I need to have a moment where I'm in an ambiance of happiness and joy, I don't think about a spinach salad and I'm not <laughs> thinking about something heavy either, like a steak dinner or something, just like, you know, a nice sweet bowl of ice. There's something so refreshing. I love the parallel between the refreshment of the sweet and, and the delightful in conjunction with that part of your soul. There is just something about ice cream. There is. It is. It's not like a piece of cake. It is Mm-mm. just something. It must be the cold and the sweet and I don't know. I just want to thank, I want to take a moment right now and thank whoever it was that decided to churn milk and cream and throw in butter and whatever else they had to put in there. Probably not butter, sugar. I don't know how you make ice cream, but whoever decided to throw all those ingredients in and get some ice going and make ice cream. Thank you. <laughs> well, you were talking to people who lived thousands of years yes. ago who started in Persia Wait, you've researched all this, haven't you? Tell me, tell me, I want to know. Oh, yeah, it goes back. They don't know who originally came up with ice cream, but it dates back to Persia centuries. I mean, we're talking, in fact, I have a presentation I should probably look at just to make sure I'm getting this clear, but um, centuries and centuries and centuries ago, and then China as well, they found, and they found this through old receipts or information or ancient writings, yeah. but in even like, for example, King Nero, the um, that horrible Nero would, the emperor would send his slaves up into the mountains and they would bring down snow and then they would mix it with wine. And that would be like oh. one of the first things. And the okay. Persians had something similar, I think it was even called a sharbat, which is probably close to a sherbet. So that's really mm-hmm. the Chinese, it was rice water. Yeah. And you know, you can see it kind of growing and variations of it. Ice cream as we knew it probably came more like gelato in Mm -hmm. Italy in the Mm -hmm. 14, 1500s, I think. And then it it worked, but the story gets better because it was really something just for the wealthy. It was so expensive. 
and so hard to make. And then when you, you know, when you think you're adding milk and that's people yeah. who have surplus, that's people who can right. afford two cows, not one and, uh-huh. and on. So in, I think it was 1853 in Philadelphia, a little housewife named Nancy Johnson came up with the churn handle, the crank. You aren't kidding me. And she patented it. And that little gal changed ice cream for everybody because it was now accessible. Well, yeah. And it went from being just really something for very wealthy people to the masses. And, you know, it was served at the St. Louis World Fair. That's where the cone came because there's this story about, well, it goes back to actually, it was sold in street vendors in New York City and places like that. And they used to sell it in something called a penny lick, which was like a little... Think of almost like a port glass. Okay. Yep. A small little uh-huh. pretty glass. Uh-huh. People would lick it for a penny. You'd lick the ice cream. Oh, funny. And then they'd hand it back and hopefully they would clean it. But with the rise of tuberculosis and cholera throughout the cities, that was banned. So I think, we, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we get to the St. Louis World Fair where this one ice cream concessionaire had run out of containers like paper containers Next to him was a waffle concessionaire. And the man saw the problem, took a waffle, rolled it up, handed it to him, and thus came the ice cream cone. Anyway, it's just such a fun story. All these little steps that bring it right into home. Can I just say I'm really happy right now? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think what I love is that it was an ordinary housewife. Yes. Working, solving a problem, just figuring something out. Yes. And it's the same style. We use it today. It's the Uh exact, you know, in your home. Right. Um, Right. Same thing. Oh my gosh. That's so great. I had no idea in thanking the originals that you were going to break out into a full on history. And that was edited, Jamie Joe. I could have gone much longer. Well, we need to have like a bonus episode podcast with the in detail story of ice cream. I do. I do presentations for libraries on the curious history of ice cream. Do you seriously? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's really, really fun. I I enjoy doing it. And, and just to kind of really bring this plane into land. Perfect. Remember there's enough, but my husband went to ice cream school. What? Penn State has ice cream school and yeah. And Steve went there, Steve and my daughter, who's a nutritionist and they spent, it's held in January. Okay. It's been going on since I think 1893, something like that, okay. 120 years now and, or more. And um, maybe more, I'm not good with math anyway. Okay. And it is held in January. They have a long course for all, for business professionals, all the grades have gone, Ben and Jerry's, Baskin and Robbins, sure. you know, Nestle, haagen and all their corporate people, uh-huh. Benny's has been there, you name it, they have gone to Penn State's ice cream school. Uh-huh. And then they have a short course for serious hobbyists or people who are looking to start. Right. And that's what my husband did. So oh my goodness, ice cream master. <laughs> so you, do you get homemade ice cream a lot? Yeah, we have, we make it quite a lot. And he, for our anniversary, we had a big anniversary just a bit ago and I got him when an Italian. Oh yeah. Actual mm-hmm. compressor so that we can have friends over. He will have made the, um, you know, the actual base. And then before their very eyes. That is they- so cool. I love it. I had no idea there was an ice cream school. Isn't that fun? So now I need to like set a new bucket list item. 
on my list to go to the and ice our cream popularity school. has skyrocketed. Oh, I bet people like having us for dinner because we bring ice cream. I bet. Yeah. I bet. The <laughs> most creative I've gotten with ice cream is here in Wisconsin. We will make snow ice cream. Mm. So after a, a fresh snowfall, we'll get the styrofoam cups out and get our our little you know equation of cream to sugar to snow and then we bring out all the different flavors the kids the kids love to make it's a complete and utter mess and it's so much fun yeah it's so much fun (laughs) it's a nice nice memory yeah I scared my kids this year because I um wanted to try a spiced rum snow ice cream Ah. and so I got a little bit of spiced rum because I just wanted to see what it would taste like and my son was like mom you cannot drink that. That's really bad for you. It's liquor. And I'm like, it's a tablespoon of rum, honey. It's going to be okay. But I actually but had to like the way you're thinking, son. Yes. Right. I like the way you're thinking. It's okay. But with a little vanilla and a little bit of spiced rum, it was just a, just kind of almost like a chai latte sort wow. of a flavor. It was really good. It was different, but I'm going to have to tell my husband, cause he's always, we're always trying to push him to new flavors because yeah. this was actually a lot of what has gone to my books is this credible, you know, credible information because I live mm-hmm. with an ice cream maker and he has made ice cream, vanilla ice cream, which is actually the most difficult flavor to make because it's so pure. Oh, okay. Stronger flavors like coffee or your rum. Will, right. Will right. Any, any maker errors, Yes, but not vanilla. Vanilla is just pure integrity. So he made it. He's made it now 63 times. Oh, wow. I know to get it just right. Wow. Does yeah. he use the actual vanilla bean too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is like authentic vanilla. Yeah. He, it is big time. Yeah. So really, really good. And he actually, his ice cream does not have eggs in it. He, oh, it doesn't. He, yeah. He really, wow. where Wisconsin, that's frozen custard, right? Right. Yes. I was just going to say we have custard here where there's, yeah. yeah. In fact, I just had some today. It was really yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, this is so fascinating. So we have really covered the gamut of the secret yes. to happiness and the secret history of ice cream. Yeah. yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure we could cover much more and make this any more interesting than it's already been. He's done. <laughs> uh, no, it's great. But the book is out right now. It's called the sweet, no wait, the no, sweet life. Secret the, to happiness. Secret to happiness is the one that's out now. Okay. With the popsicles, yeah. yes, with the popsicles, and that that's delicious, delicious cover. Not meant to be eaten, but meant to be read with ice cream for sure. Inspired, yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, and they can get that book anywhere, any bookstore, Amazon, mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble, Baker Book House, etc. Mm-hmm. Great. And um, Suzanne, this is always such fun to have you on the you podcast. Too, didn't you, Joe, you do a great job. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us, and let's have you back for book three. Okay. All right. Thank you for listening to Mad Lit Musings. You can find out more information about Mad Lit and all that it has to offer at madlitmentoring.com. That's madlitmentoring.com. Or check out more about Jamie Jo Wright at jamiewrightbooks.com.